Let's turn together now to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13. You know, as we continue to wait out this pandemic, we've heard a lot about testing. In fact, we've heard about two different tests. First of all, there are tests for current infection. It's a viral test. And then there's also this other test. It's a test of past infection. It's an antibody test. So one of them answers the question, do I have it? And then the other test answers the question, did I have it? You know, as these tests become more available, I'd be really eager to get that second test. Have I already been exposed to it? Do I have antibodies in me fighting this off? That would be great to know. Well, today we're going to take another test, a test that's infinitely more important than even those tests. And it's a test of yourself to see if eternal salvation is in you. Do you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? No test could be more important than this one. Now, it's going to be a self-test. And we're praying this, that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and reveal the genuineness of your faith. In fact, this is the exercise Paul takes to the Corinthians as he wraps up his letter to them that we've been walking through through these months. And so here we are, 2 Corinthians 13. Let's pick up together in verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. So the Corinthians, we know, have sadly been putting Paul to the test. Paul, are you a real apostle? And the whole thing was quite foolish. It was a ridiculous, insulting test instigated by the false apostles, and it was also an illogical test. If Paul failed the test, and he was the one who brought the gospel to the Corinthians, that would mean that the Corinthians failed the test because they would have believed in a gospel that was not true. But once again, Paul turns the tables and says, Corinthians, test yourselves. He calls them to deep spiritual introspection here. And, and we can think about these Corinthians, we think for good reason, Paul wants some of them to question their spiritual standing. He wants them to consider questions like this. Are you saved? Are you growing in Christ? And so as we conclude this letter this morning through 2 Corinthians, I want us to ask ourselves the same question. Now, throughout this letter, we know that Paul assumed that the majority of the Corinthians were indeed genuine believers. Certainly, they weren't all spiritually well, many of them immature, they were needing correction, but he believed that most of them were saved. He referred to them as brothers, as he'll do here as we wrap up the letter. But he is concerned about them. He's concerned that some are not spiritually healthy, and he's concerned that some of them in the Christian community there in Corinth indeed are lost, have never truly been saved. In reality, this is true of every church. And every pastor knows this when he stands up to talk. Every youth leader knows it when he stands up for his youth group, that it's a mixed group. In the group, whenever you're speaking to believers, you're going to find those who are mature, growing disciples. And I would think in a church like ours, that's the vast majority of people. They're, they're making progress, growing in the Lord. But whenever you stand to preach, you also know that there are those in the mix who are not doing well spiritually. They may know Jesus, but they, they're struggling. They're discouraged. Maybe they have some hidden areas of disobedience that God is working with them on. We also know in the mix there are the seekers, those who are not yet believers, but God's drawing them. And it's always exciting to know that God has brought seekers into the group. 
But then we know that there are those who are blinded church members. Sometime along the way, they became members of a church, but they have not truly come to know Jesus. It's more of a cultural thing for, for them, perhaps. And I don't share that in a condemning way because this was my story. That at the age of 13, I became concerned about hell. So I grew up in a family that went to church. As a kid, I always went reluctantly. But I'm glad my parents made me go. At least I picked up a biblical worldview to some degree. I understood there was a God. I understood that there was a Bible. I understood that there's a heaven and a hell. And it was that idea of hell that concerned me around the age of 13. And so I inquired, how do you avoid hell? And so I think they probably told me the true gospel, those in the church, but somehow I misunderstood it. And here's what I understood them to say, though I don't think it's how they said it. I understood two things I have to do to avoid hell. I need to walk down front in church after the sermon, and then I need to be put under some water. If I'll do those two things, you call that accepting Christ, and I won't have to go to hell. And so in the weeks that followed, I did those two things. I walked down front in church, shook the preacher's hand, went through all that. Then uh, a little bit later was baptized, and they called that accepting Christ. But I can tell you this, I did those two things, but I never truly accepted Christ. I now had become a church member, and I had a false confidence that if I died, I would go to heaven instead of hell. And I lived that way for three years. But listen, I didn't know Jesus, and my life showed that I did not know Jesus during those years. Now, I know the difference because three years later, mercifully, I watched my brother's life transformed by Jesus. At first, I thought, that's off. But then I thought, maybe he has the real thing. Maybe that's what a real Christian looks like. And so I began to listen to the Christian music he was listening to. And then without anybody knowing, I pulled out that long, that long neglected Bible, and I began to read it. And there I came to know God, that he is awesome. And then I saw my sin for the first time. All this sin is a big problem. And now I understood, oh, I've been hearing this my whole life, that Jesus is a savior. He died on the cross to save me from my sins, and he was raised from the dead. And, and so over a period of months, I put my faith in Jesus. So, so I know what it's like to go from a, a lost church member to being truly born again, where you come to a decision to trust in Jesus and he changes your life. Well, talking to many Christians through the years, I know that many people have that same testimony. Church kid for a while, church teenager, but not truly born again until sometime later when they come to understand the need for Jesus. So here's the good news. That could be you today, where you discover, I, I fail the test. I'm not genuinely his. Good news. Today, you can pass the test. Today, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he will save you, take you from a lost church member to a born-again believer in Christ. But let's take the test together. Let's go into a time of critical introspection into your spiritual life. Let's examine ourselves, as Paul said here. So take the test. Here's the first question. Am I saved? Am I saved? Would you ask it? Here's what Paul said again, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Paul uses two words here for testing. The first word has the idea of test something for the quality of it, to see if it's genuine. And so we know that there are tests for all kinds of things. I read this week about testing for gold to see if it's real. Now, I haven't invested in gold, probably should have, but it was interesting for me just to read about it, those gold bars we see. How do you know if they're real gold all the way into the core? These things are so valuable. And so they've developed tests. They can test how electricity is conducted through the metal, and they, they can tell if there's some, some less expensive not precious metal, at the core of that, they can test it and then find out if it's counterfeit. Evidently, it's a big problem. They have to make sure it's real. Well, you and I would say, I need to make sure my faith is real. 
I don't want to just on the exterior look like I'm a Christian. I want to know that I have a genuine faith inside. And so Paul says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. He uses a second word here, the word it's translated here, examine yourselves. And that word has the idea of proving something. Maybe you think about somebody who needs to go and buy a pickup truck and they want it to pull something. And so they're going to do a little research ahead of time. Maybe they're going to go online and read the specs about a particular truck. But then comes a time where you'll go to the dealership and you want to see, all right, let me check it out. Let me kick the tires. Let me learn a little bit more about it. But then comes the all-important test drive. You want to get behind the wheel. Will this truck do what I was told it would do? And be even more wonderful if you could actually tow what you want to tow and take it out on some of the terrain that you normally would. I want to prove it. Paul says, you need to test yourselves. You need to go into some deep introspection here to your faith. Is your faith real? And so today we're doing that. So to find out if you're truly saved, here are two questions. Am I in the faith and is Jesus in me? This is what Paul asks. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So here's a diagnostic question to help us here. On what basis are you right with God? So you're to ask yourself, on what basis am I right with God? And, and what's your answer to that? It's going to reveal a whole lot. Is your basis for being right with God how good you feel that you are? Or is it the cross of Christ? Is it your goodness or his cross? If I were to ask you, are you sure you'll be with God in heaven when you die? Are you sure? And if you said to me, yes, I'm sure, I'd be happy for you. But then I would ask a follow-up question. How do you know that you're sure? And your answer is going to reveal a lot. If you say to me, well, I'm sure that I'm going to heaven one day because I'm a pretty good person. If you say something like that, you have failed the test. You're not in the faith because, listen, being good to go to heaven is not Christianity. That's some other faith. That's not Christianity. The gospel begins this way, that you and I are not good. Our appeal to God is, God, look how good I am. Look at all the nice things I've done. Look how sincere I am. That's not our appeal as believers who are in the faith. Our appeal is this, God, you see my sin. And so I appeal to your mercy and your grace that you offered to me at the cross. My appeal is the cross of Jesus where, where he died for me to atone for all of my sins. So this is the opposite of appealing to ourselves. Oh, we're appealing to the Savior Jesus. And so if you'd ask me, Jim, are you sure that you're right with God? I have a one-word answer to that question. And here's the, here's the one word I would use, Jesus. Jesus is my only hope. All my hope is in Jesus and what he did for me, nothing that I do for him. It's not that I walked down an aisle when I was younger, nothing to do with him. My, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is not in the fact that I'm a pastor. Somebody might think, well, you're a pastor. You're surely going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. Have you ever heard somebody say that about somebody? Well, if anybody ever deserves to go to heaven, it's her. She's such a sweet lady. She would do anything for anybody. If anybody ever deserved to go to heaven, it would be her. And we'd say, no, nobody deserves to go to heaven. All of us have sinned. Here's what the scripture says, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life, catch this, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Or famously, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, catch it, believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. So examine yourself. Have you ever humbled yourself and confessed your sin to God? Have you turned to him, asking him to be your savior? Have you yielded your life to him? Could you use this word? I've been converted. I used to be something else, but Jesus has changed me and I'm different now. So we're just asking the question. We're taking the test. Am I saved? And we've asked, first of all, am I in the faith? But then secondly, is Jesus in me? So am I in the faith? Second question, is Jesus in me? Notice verse 5 again, the latter part. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? And then Paul says, unless indeed you fail the test. Paul knows that there are some identifiable marks of a true believer in Jesus. In fact, he talked about it back in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Do you remember this famous verse? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So hear that. There is an alarming problem if somebody professes to be a Christian and there's no evidence of that in the way they're living out their life. If you cannot see evidence of Jesus in your life, Paul would say, well, then you have failed the test. So again, let's take inventory right here. Do you see evidence of Jesus in you? Look at Jesus, what you know about him. Look at your life. Do you see anything corresponding there? What's the trajectory of your life? What's the goal of your life? Is it, is it Jesus involved in that? So let's ask this, do you trust in Jesus? And let's follow up with this question. Do you actually want Jesus in your life? Do you love Jesus? Is that true of you? Do you desire to follow Jesus? Do you love the things that God loves? And do you hate the things that God says that he hates? Paul brings up their lives here. Verse 6, he says, I want you to do no wrong. Verse 7, do what is right. So saved people are suddenly concerned about doing good and avoiding bad. We're not saved by that, but it's one of those things that shows up. It's a, there's a difference in the life that God brings among those who have trusted in him. We're not saved by our behavior, but Jesus changes us and it starts to show up in our behavior. Now, it certainly does not mean perfection. We don't become Jesus, but he comes into us and he starts to live his life through us and it becomes evident to the people around us. But again, it's not always pretty. There's a struggle to, to live the way God wants us to, but that struggle is new. And I, again, I experienced this in my own life. Before I truly came to know Jesus, I could sin quite happily. My only concern before I met Jesus was that my parents not find out what I was doing. But then when Jesus invaded my life with the good news, then even if nobody else were around me, now I'm concerned. I want to obey the Lord. Where did that come from? I didn't manufacture that. That's a change that he brought saved by grace, by trusting in him. He starts making these changes on the inside of me. Now I want to be obedient. But then sometimes, many times I wasn't obedient. And now I cared about that. I hated it when I fell. And so I wanted to do no wrong. I wanted to do what was right. That was very new. But again, not always pretty in the life of a believer. Galatians 5 talks about it. There's a sense now as the spirit of God lives in you, you have a new nature. And so the spirit of God and your flesh are at odds every day. Our move is to subjugate ourselves to the spirit every day, that the fruit of the spirit might be on display in us. Paul talked about it in Romans 7. It's not always pretty in life. We're not perfect now, but there's this desire. It's a new desire now to follow after God. And we're frustrated when we fall into sin as believers. And so examine yourself. 
What changed when you became a Christian, if indeed you became one? What has he started to do inside of you? Have other people seen a change in you since you say that you became a Christian? Can Jesus be seen in your life? So think about it this way. In Christ, a thief stops stealing. In Christ, a jerk starts to be kind to others. In Christ, an adulterer repents and he goes home. In Christ, a fornicator now wants to put his body under the lordship of Jesus Christ. One scholar said it this way, Christian behavior is the touchstone for determining whether those who claim to be Christians really are. Again, we're not saved by our Christian behavior, but our behavior will become different if Christ is in us. The Word of God says this. John talked about it in 1 John 2, 3 and following. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or Ephesians 5, 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul said there's an expected change, an outward change in those who have inwardly come to know Jesus as Savior, trusting in his grace. So we understand this, that God alone knows the true condition of our hearts. But Paul's just telling you, here's how you test yourself. There can be assurance of salvation in the person who knows that they know the Lord. They remember repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus. And they can look in their life now and see, oh, and those changes are still at work in my life. By the way, here's something. Leaving the Lord behind reveals that you never knew him in the first place. Sometimes you ask the question, hey, what about that guy? What about that lady who used to be among us, who's now out living a pagan life? What, what's up with that? Were they ever really saved? The scripture would say somebody, somebody who would do that has never truly been born again. Again, John talked about it in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. So a failure to remain in Christ reveals that you never knew Christ. We're just testing our faith. We're testing to see if we're in the faith. Now, a genuine believer can't lose it. You've been adopted, you've been sealed, and you'll be his forever. It is the grace of God. But listen, that shows up in you enduring to the end. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's the mark of a genuinely saved person. You won't fall away. It's the grace of God in your life. One person said it this way, those who have the grace to endure to the end are the ones who have genuinely been saved by grace. MacArthur said this, even the weakest Christian has pure longings in his heart for righteousness, even though he lets his flesh hinder their fulfillment. Or Wayne Grudem, he said this, a consistent pattern of disobedience to Christ coupled with a lack of the elements of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, and so forth, is a warning signal that the person is probably not a true Christian inwardly, and that there probably has been no heart faith from the beginning and no regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus warned that he will say to some who have prophesied, cast out demons, and done many mighty works in his name, I never knew you, 
Depart from me, you evildoers. That's Matthew 7, 23. And John tells us, he who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2, 4. And then Grudem says this, a long-term pattern of increasing disobedience to Christ should be taken as evidence to doubt that the person in question is really a Christian at all. And so here we've been testing our faith. And as a pastor, I know this. This message, this text might trouble some tender-hearted Christians who have always wrestled with assurance. And they genuinely know Jesus, but they just wrestle to know that they know that they know. Listen, this message in my heart has not been designed to do that. Not wanting to trouble at all the tender-hearted believer who has sincerely trusted in Christ. But as we mentioned earlier, there's a mixed group hearing this message, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to apply this message, especially to those who need to doubt their salvation, that your life is giving evidence that you don't love Jesus. When I asked you the question earlier, do you want him? If you're honest, you would say, I haven't wanted him. I just wanted, I just wanted to know I wasn't going to hell, but I didn't really want Jesus. He, I haven't really accepted him, and, and, and you're the one that I'm praying God's going to apply this message to your heart, not to condemn you, but that you might realize, oh, I need to know him. You've been missing out if all you have is something you did a long time ago, some box you checked off. Oh, I would that you would trust in Jesus. Here's the good news. Today, if you have doubts, here's how you remedy the doubts. Call on Jesus today to save you. I love how simple this is. In 1 John 5, 11 and following, it says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Here's the question. Do you have the Son? Have you repented of sin and trusted in Jesus? If you've trusted in Jesus, oh, you have eternal life. And now really quickly, let me read you the final verses here in 2 Corinthians. These are the final words, and this, asks, this answers the question, what should I do now that I'm a believer Verse 9, for we rejoice that we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. And this also we pray for, that you may be made complete. For this reason, I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I'm present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Notice this. Paul says, believers, this is what you are to pursue until Christ comes, comes again. Oh, be maturing in Christ. Paul said, be made complete. Let God finish that work in you, making you more and more like Jesus. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. I love he says here, what, is, what should you be doing? Oh, rejoice in the Lord, the one who freely saved you if you have believed in him. Be comforted, he says, and be united with other believers. Notice he said, be like-minded, be at peace. Then there's a verse that in these COVID-19 days, it sounds a little bit strange. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, maybe we won't do that. <laughs> but certainly don't we look forward to when we can embrace again, when we can show our Christian love in person again. But listen, in Jesus, we have a new life, a new eternal destiny, a new direction, even a new family. And so that's the invitation day. Come to Jesus. See your sin, acknowledge it, bring it before the Lord and ask him, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you save me? 
I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe you were raised from the dead, and I'm now asking you to be my Savior. Come in and take my life. I want to follow you. I want to be saved by you. Listen, as you do that, I'll then determine to follow after him. And let us know your decision. You can email us at email at smrbc.org. Email at smrbc.org. We want to help you. Jesus never called for mere decisions. He called for disciples, people who are following him. And we want to help you as you get started as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for your grace. Lord, it was your idea to save sinners like all of us. Father, I pray that you've used this message to call people to yourself out of religion, out of self-righteousness, out of blindness, Lord, to genuinely trust in you and you alone what was done for them on the cross. Lord, thank you for the gospel, the good news, that sinners like us can be made clean because of what you did for us, not because of what we do for you. Today, our move is to repent and believe, and we're reaffirming that today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.